Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Today we want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 24 through 35, if you would. Luke chapter 7, 25 through 30, or 24 through 35, as we consider the rest of the story of John the Baptist, titled this message, The Original Goat, the G-O-A-T, the original goat. Now, this is different between the goats and the sheep that Jesus speaks of, the goat being those that are unbelievers and the sheep being the believers. So what is or who is a goat? Well, goat, G-O-A-T, is an acronym for the greatest of all time. And typically this phrase is used in debating who the best player is in any given sport, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, soccer, or tennis. People are enjoying debating over who is the greatest player of all time, whether it's in that particular sport or maybe the greatest ever sports person of all time. In football, one might argue that it's Aaron Rodgers just winning his third MVP, or Peyton Manning, or Joe Montana, uh, people of my age, or maybe someone like Randy's age where it's Johnny Unitas. Uh, but most, uh, <laughs> some of you might not know who that is. Most, though, would argue that it's Tom Brady, that he's the GOAT. Consider that Tom Brady holds many quarterback records. Listen to what Tom Brady has done in his 20-plus years or so in the NFL. He has the record of the combined passing yards, regular season touchdown passes, career touchdown, most Pro Bowl selections. Uh, never having a losing season, he is the NFL leader in career quarterback wins, quarterback regular season wins, playoff wins, uh, Super Bowl MVP uh, four times. And tonight he is playing in his 10th Super Bowl with a record of six wins and three losses. I mean, when you think of what he's accomplished, I could understand why many would consider him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Now, for basketball, now that's my sport. That's what I love. The argument centers on LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, and maybe Wilt Chamberlain and some others. And for me, it's always going to be Michael Jordan. My money is on him. Consider that he is a six-time NBA championship, five-time NBA Most Valuable Player, a six-time NBA most, most, uh, Finals Most Valuable Player, ten times a scoring leader, uh, NBA Defensive Player of the Year, NBA Rookie of the Year, four time, 14 times NBA All-Star. I love this one meme here if you just show it. How can LeBron be better than me when he's not even better than Kobe? So that's always been one of my favorite memes. I don't know how much spiritual education that has, but I like it anyway. But this morning, I want to consider a different man who was considered the goat by none, by none other than Jesus himself. In our passage two weeks ago, John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Jesus asking for confirmation of his identity as the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one of God. And in response, Jesus simply points out to them all the works that he has done in fulfillment of Scripture, I am the Messiah. But as we come to today's passage, Jesus turns the focus back onto John and his ministry of preaching and baptizing in the wilderness. And the contrast between those who accepted and those who rejected not only John's ministry, but also Jesus himself. With that, let's take a look at Luke chapter 7. 
And I want to look at just verse 24 and 25 as we just begin. When John's messengers had gone, Luke writes, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Let's pray. Father, open up our minds and hearts to hear these words and exhortations from Luke as he records the words of Jesus in his interaction with the crowd and as he speaks of John the Baptist. Thank you for these words. These words are profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So with that, Father, let us hear the words. Let us respond gladly to your word and then respond to the Spirit's work as we consider the life and times here of John the Baptist. Again, thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. After John's disciples leave with the good news that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed one of Yahweh, Jesus now turns and speaks to the crowd that had gathered around him and were listening to the conversation between John and or between Jesus and John's disciples. And Jesus wants to help them understand because there might be some now that are angry or disappointed or questioning or wondering, why is John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist, why is he doubting or questioning or having uncertainty about the identity of Jesus? Why would John, the one who baptized him, the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God, why, why would he question or doubt or have uncertainty about the identity of Jesus? So Jesus wants to quell that and put that to rest. And to do that, Jesus highlights three points of, Jesus, of John, excuse me, his person and his ministry. Number one, first, he identifies or points to the personal character of John. Jesus asked two rhetorical questions about John, essentially asking this, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? What is it that attracted you to John? Why did you travel all the way out there to hear this man preach and teach and why did you respond to his call to repentance and baptism? Was he a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, he's saying, was John a weak or a compromised or watered down preacher? Was he telling you what you wanted to hear? And so you flocked to him for that reason. We know today that many people flock to churches because of that very thing. I go to church because it makes me feel good. They feed me. They have Starbucks there. They, they do what I need. And when I walk out, I feel a better man. I'm not sure if that's the, the purpose of a church, to be honest about people to you. I think there's a sense in which that's true. But then we're talking many times about people who truly aren't even regenerated. So was he a reed shaken by the wind? You think about a reed blowing all over the place, whichever the wind goes? No. Is he a man dressed in soft clothing? Was he a king, a ruler, wealthy? What was it that attracted you to him? Jesus says, you're going to find a ruler or a king in, 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 in houses and in and in king's courts, you're not going to find them in the wilderness. Of course, the answer to both of those is what? No. You did not go out to see a, a reed shaken. You did not go to see a man in soft clothing. Jesus points out that John was inflexible and austere in his life and ministry. He was not a prosperity preacher. He was not in it for personal gain. 
though he was a man of humility, he nevertheless was bold and courageous in his preaching, sparing neither the religious nor the political leaders with his call to repentance. Remember, he's in prison for calling out Herod for his sin. There was no bending. There was no compromising or watering down his call of repentance and baptism. Scripture also informs us that John ministered without any consideration of his own comfort and provision. In the Gospel of Mark, we read that John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. There was nothing about his physical presence that would attract them other than his odd clothing. He was not able to give them money, nor did he offer them riches if they gave to his needs. He didn't speak in political correct language or with smooth words. He was what you and I would might call a coarse man, a, a, a brunt man, right to the, to the bone man. He's not going to spare words. If anything, many took offense at his broad, bro, or bold proclamations and his radical demands for repentance and baptism. So first we see the personal character of John. But then secondly, Jesus points out the privileged calling, the privileged calling of John the Baptist. Look with me at verse 26 in your Bible. And again, I want to encourage you to read the Bible. We had the opportunity and the pleasure to go see Dustin and Sarah last Sunday in, in, in his church and, his, and listen to his pastor preach. And afterwards, Dustin said, well, didn't, did you notice that we, you could hear the pages of the Bible's teaching? He says, for these last year and a half, we've been teaching people to bring their Bibles and, and you can hear the pages turn. And I'll be honest, I told him, you know, I, I heard that immediately. And I said, that's what I desire for our people, that when we have it, that I'm hearing pages turn. So please, if you do not have a Bible, I encourage you. Now, I know many of you are using your phone or your tablet. That, that I understand that, so that's, that's fine as well. But there's something about having a Bible that you can highlight, mark, and write. So I, I want to encourage you to do that. It would be, it'd be wonderful that if we hear the same type of thing in our church. Now, that doesn't make you more spiritual or anything of that. There's no test there, but there's encouragement. That's an editorial note. So Jesus says there in verse 26, What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, Jesus says. Verse 27, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. What we see here is when we talk about John's privilege calling, Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Now, this is not a surprise to you. We've seen this. Uh, you've been with me in Matthew. You've been, most of you have been with me through Mark. You've been through, I think all of you have been through, me, through with me as we went through Luke 1 and uh, chapters 1 through 3. So you understand this. He was both a prophet, though, and a messenger. He was sent by God to Israel to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus declares that John is the fulfillment of Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. John the Baptist was given the privilege to serve as the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah, through his preaching, through his baptism, through his call to repentance. He would be the last of the Old Testament prophets. Many times we, we think of John the Baptist. Well, he's in the New Testament, but actually, he's actually the end of the Old Testament. He stands under the mantle of the Elijah and the Elishas. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, prophets, now I want to talk about prophets for just for a moment so we 
understand what prophets uh, uh, do, who who they are and what is prophecy. And prophets perform their callings and duties in two different ways in Scripture. And you'll see this here. I wanted to make sure you can understand. And in the most popular way, the prophets predict the future in light of the present. So they're standing in the present, see, say, Israel typically, and they're, they're predicting what's going to happen in the future in light of the present. And he does this through the foretelling of events that will happen in the sometime in the future. And typically it goes something like this. Listen, Israel, you are disobeying God. So there might be a rebuke. There might be an exhortation. You need to repent and turn back to God. There's a call to commitment. And if you do these things, God will not do this. Or there's a a promise. I want to encourage you that, that I'm going to send a son to you, a Messiah. So they would use words of rebuke. There's recalling people to repentance, to turn back to Yahweh, to worship only him. So there's a prediction of the future in light of today. Listen, if you don't do this, something will happen. If you do this, something will happen. So that's the most popular. That's what we think of the Old Testament. That's what we think of maybe the book of Revelation. But the least popular for many of us, even today, is that the prophet portrays the present in light of the future. In other words, he says, this is something you need to understand. He does this through rebuking, reproving, counseling, or admonishing. And so then now he's presenting the present light in the or portrays the present in light of the future. Now, John's ministry as a prophet and messenger was in the vein of the second role. He was the advanced team. You think of an advanced team. This is, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, you think of them as uh, maybe a street team. Maybe there's a performer in town, a concert. And these are the people that are setting up posters. They're handing out bulletins and brochures and flyers. They're trying to get you to come in. And if you've ever been now to Venice Beach or, you know, some, uh, you know, even a Disney, things of that nature, people are calling you in. We think of Barkers. That's, that's kind of what John the Baptist was. He was that advanced team saying, the Messiah is coming. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. He was the proclaimer, the preacher, who was called all to repent and to bear fruits with their repentance. That was his privileged call. Then thirdly, Jesus points out the prestige contribution of John's ministry, the prestige contribution. Look at it with me, read with me at verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a strange statement. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. None is greater than John. He is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. Now, this is an astonishing revelation. Consider of all the Old Testament prophets. Abel, he was the first prophet, the first to be murdered, killed by his own brother. Enoch, the one who walked with God and was translated to heaven without ever dying. He walked with God and was not because God took him. Moses, who led the children, excuse me, the Hebrew children out of Egypt performing great wonders and miracles. Samuel, 
who crowned not only the first king of Israel, Saul, but also anointed David king. Nathan, who boldly and courageously went into the throne of David and confronted him for his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. I think of Elijah, who defeated the prophets of Baal and was carried up into heaven in a fiery chariot. Elisha, who was then given a double portion of Elijah's power. Jeremiah, who proclaimed the word of God while persecuted by his own people. Isaiah, who boldly proclaimed the warnings and promises for Israel. And then we think of Ezekiel, who faithfully served with God's prophet in captivity in Babylon. And those are just few of the examples. God is saying all men are less than John. John is greater than all those who came before him. And there are many prophets that the scripture never names. But Yahweh saved the best for last. As the last in a long line of prophets who faithfully served God, John is considered the greatest as his contribution was higher in prestige as he served as the messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Yet even as Jesus declares the prestige of John's ministry, he proclaims that the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, how can that be? For now he's speaking to you and I. How can you and I be greater than John the Baptist? How can we be greater than Nathan or Moses or David? Well, that's what he's saying here. But this again is the upside down message of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes as the Messiah, the anointed one, he flips everything upside down. What the world considers great, God does not. What, God, what the world considers as wise, God says no. Who he considers valuable is different than how the world values themselves. Jesus informs them, now listen to this, you may want to write this down, that a participant in the kingdom of God is greater than the one who proclaimed the kingdom of God. The participant is greater than the proclaimer. The least in the kingdom of God included the blind, the lame, the leprous, the deaf, the demon-possessed, the poor, the despised tax collector, and the common fisherman. All that the world would say is uncommon and should be put aside. But God says, no, bring them to me. That's who I've come to liberate. Those are the ones that I've come to preach the good news. Those are of the kingdom of God. And this is the good news of the kingdom of God. All of us are welcome. No matter what nationality, no matter what ethnicity we are, no matter where we were born or how much we make, we are welcome into the kingdom of God. There is no hierarchy according to the earthly and worldly powers, riches, and heritage. For you and I are greater than even John the Baptist. Now, many times as you and I read the exploits of our heroes in Scripture, or maybe even read the biographies of pastors and missionaries and other servants of God, and I want to encourage you to do so. If you would like to read some great biographies of Christian men and women, would you please see? I've got plenty of those, and I want to share those with you. There's, there's something about reading them that just encourages us and lifts us up and is inspiring. 
But many times as we read of their great exploits and their power and their faith, we can be intimidated by their faithfulness. We wonder why our lives are not marked by great and miraculous achievements. We despair of ever attaining to their level of spirituality. At times we yearn for God to give us the same type of power and boldness that we may serve God in our generation. We may say, why do we struggle so much? Why can't I be like a George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, a Jonathan Edwards? Why can't I be like this person or that person? Yet Jesus encourages his audience that they too are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, the Bible is saying that you're all goats. Again, not in the fact that you're unbelievers according to the goats and sheep of Scripture, but the fact that we're all the greatest of all time. Because we're known by God. We are chosen by God. Luke is doing the same thing with his reading audience, which includes us 2,000 years later. He wants us to know that we are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Though we may never achieve what other saints have done, we have a place in the kingdom of God and we are commanded to be faithful with our calling, with our duty and our contribution. For we have the same privileged calling. We have the same calling for our our personal character. Luke then breaks into a narrative, breaks into the narrative, I should say, to write some editorial content in verse 29. In some of your your, uh, Bibles, you may see the the, the, the parentheses. This is Luke now breaking into and making a comment, making an editorial comment. Look at verse 29. When all the people heard this, Luke writes, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Now, Now write that, just underline that, declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But in verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Luke notes that there were two different reactions to Jesus' words of commendation for John. There was acceptance and there's rejection. There was those that reacted positively to John's call to repentance that was then demonstrated by their acts of of baptism. Again, remember, baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment. Uh, As you may recall, John baptized in the River uh, Jordan. The word baptized means to dip under. It is more than just a sprinkling of water over the head. And though some religious practice uh, uh, Religions practice baptizing babies. Biblical baptism is only for those that have recognized that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They have confessed their sin and they put their trust wholly in the works of Christ. Now repentance, this message of repentance, is an act of agreeing of our rebellion against a holy God. It's recognizing that, and it's, and it's a commitment to turn away from our sin. This call to repentance was not very popular in that day, nor is it today. Many churches, pastors, and pulpits have denied its importance. They have disregarded its command and deflected its purpose in evangelism. Yet it is only through repentance, mark this, it is only through repentance that you and I can enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus proclaimed in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, 
I had not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So repentance is necessary. Without repentance, we can never enter into the kingdom of God. But Luke notes that those that responded to John's preaching through repentance and baptism declared God just. What does that mean? That's a strange term. They declared God just. What this means is they approved of God's redemption plan. That salvation comes through repentance that bears fruit in holy living. And that's what you and I do when we come here and we gather together and we lift up our, our voices in song when we pray together, when we, we hear the word of God and when we take communion here in a moment, we are declaring that God is just, that his way of making salvation uh, 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 um, happen for us is just, is right. However, Luke points out that the religious leaders responded negatively to John's message and ministry. They recoiled at the thought that they were sinners in need of saving. They rejected the notion that they must walk down into the muddy rivers of Jordan to be dunked under its waters to demonstrate any change of behavior. And in doing so, Luke remarks point blank that they rejected, and this is so important, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Let it never be said for any of us that we rejected God's purpose in our lives. You heard me say it again, one of my greatest epitaphs, I hope it can be put on my tombstone, is that Rob served God in, in, in his generation, served the purpose of God in his generation. That should be your desire for each and every one of you. That should be the goal of your marriage. That should be your personal goal every year. You may say, what do you want for your children? Your goal for your children is that they are serving the purposes of God in their generation, even if it may cost them their life, their livelihood or their liberty. <clears throat> and it may come to that in some regards. In some ways, it already is. But they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. What a sad commentary. I pray that there are none here this morning or any who might hear or watch this message that would so brazenly reject the wonderful salvation of the Lord. I pray that the Father may begin to draw you to himself this morning, that you might recognize your need of a Savior and without hesitation call on him for forgiveness. Scripture promises us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Oh, my friend, would you do so today? Now, before you leave here this morning, don't turn off this broadcast without calling on his name. Each breath that God gives you, is a kindness and a blessing from him. Every function of every organ of your body is a gift from a, a compassionate creator. And the Bible informs us that God's kindness to us is meant to lead you to repentance. But for many, God's kindness is rejected. They may accept his good gifts, but they reject the giver. If you hear this morning, if you feel the pull of the Holy Spirit, if you are convinced in your mind and if your affections, your emotions are moved by these truths, please let us know that we may share with you the good news of the gospel and how you might be confident that the gates of the kingdom of God have been opened 
to you that you too may be children of God and citizens of the kingdom of God. Now with that exhortation though, there may be some here this morning that are not convinced yet of this message of the kingdom of God. You are not yet convinced of the need of repentance and obedience to Christ. You have joined with others who have or are now actively rejecting that call, denying that call, or ignoring that call. If so, then Jesus' next words here in Luke's gospel are for you to read, to listen, and to heed. After extolling the person, the preaching, and the ministry of John the Baptist, he turns his focus onto the religious leaders. Join with me at verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? What a good thought. They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sing a dirge and you did not weep. In other words, they did not respond appropriately to what was being called. Jesus, like, Jesus excuse me, likens the religious leaders who reject both the ministry and the message of John and Jesus as fickle children who complain about not playing their playground games correctly. Look at verse 33. John and Jesus refused to play their silly games of the religious leaders and to fulfill their personal selfish expectations of what and who the Messiah and the messenger should be or be like. In verse 33, Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon because he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, he's fasting, he's preaching all the time, and he looks weird. But then look at 34. The Son of Man now comes opposite. He comes eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, they have a critical spirit. Doesn't matter what God does, doesn't matter what they do, they're going to complain and reject it. Instead of embracing the message of repentance, the religious leaders make excuses for why they could not or would not accept the ministry. However, their excuses only lead them to eternal punishment as objects of God's wrath. The Bible warns us, you'll see this on the monitor. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But then again, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now these empty words are people who would proclaim that they are Christians, profess Jesus. But you may say, what are these things that he says about? Well, the Apostle Paul writes that sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness brings the wrath of God. He also includes filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Now, this is not an exclusive list, but these are examples of things that we need to repent of. Jesus goes on to promise and warn us. You'll see here 
on the screen, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Would you grab hold of that? There's your confidence to serve the purposes of God in your generation. Is to believe in Jesus. But he also says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on him. So let me ask you, do you accept the commands and words of Scripture? Or do you reject them? Are you obedient to the truths or disobedient? Are you guilty of the same attitude of the religious leaders? Do you nitpick or are you critical of the message? Do you look, for, look through the scripture looking for loopholes or saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to my family. Are you indifferent to the message and ministry of the gospel? If people go to hell, so what? As long as you and your family are safe? If you have a critical or indifferent spirit or a different response to sin, I'm going to ask you to repent. For that's the only solution. If you're a critical or indifferent because you expect a different message, you want one in which you can get to heaven by your own good works, where you can, you can make your own value judgments. And that's what the world wants to do. They reject the words of Scripture. <laughs> this, I didn't put this on my theme, but I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but uh, this will be, get me in more trouble. One lady puts on Twitter, uh, 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 I, I am a gay Christian. I am a by by." Sexual Christian, I'm a transgender Christian. God loves us all. And someone wrote, no, there is no gay person. There is no, no transgender. Those, those are values and identities that, that, that reflect a sin. You are not those things. We live in a day of age where we want to identify or, or put our own identity. Well, that's not scriptural. We are now identifying ourselves by our sins. Let it not be so. Brothers and sisters, let's point it out. You may be rejecting the ministry of repentance because you just don't like it. It goes against your grain. Well, it should. But I pray that you may see the sin and the error of your ways. Pray that God will open your heart to receive the blessings that come from the gospel. When we repent of our sins and we turn to Christ, Pastor Dustin Benj tweets this. The gospel is not a code of morals. It is not a set of ethics. The gospel is not a religion. The gospel is not a philosophy. The gospel is not a social program. The gospel is Jesus crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and enthroned. One day he's coming back to eagerly save those who have been waiting for him. In closing, let us consider the words of Jesus in verse 35 of Luke chapter 7. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. We have defined wisdom in the past as the skill of godly living. And scripture is full of promises and blessings that come to those who are wise. Wisdom is a gift from God, as James writes, you'll see here on the monitor. If any of you lack wisdom, what does he say? Let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that, there's another portion of scripture, that wisdom 
first from, or from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, or sincere. If you want to know if you're wise, are you those things? Is that a characteristic of your life? If not, then ask. But wisdom is also personified in the person of Jesus Christ. He is wisdom. One who accepts Jesus is a child of God. That is the entrance into the family of God. Those who repent of their sins and put their trust in God become children of God. And it is by their actions that they identify or their identity is confirmed and glory is given to Jesus. So wisdom is made or declared by all our children. In other words, we declare that Jesus is wise. Wisdom is given to the children of God. Let me ask you, what is your response to the message of repentance? Are you a child of the kingdom of God? If not, do so today. If you are, then boldly proclaim that God is just. And all together, let us give praise and thanks to the God that you and I are considered great enough to be in the kingdom of God. With every head bowed and every head closed, and we ask Randy Cohen, come on up for our pastor's prayer and then prepare for communion that we may listen to this message, <clears throat> consider the words of it this week, chew on it, come together for us with Friday on small groups and ready to apply it into our lives. And then pray and ask God how you should respond. Talk it among your wife and your family, your spouse, with someone else. And would you respond? Would you accept the message of Christ? Randy, would you come and lead us in our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.